You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washett talking Nebraska basketball here now as the Huskers uh, really threw a meat grinder part of their schedule, Robin, early. Um, you, you know, they had those early games um, to kind of get some momentum going, but then you had Georgia Tech and Creighton and uh, a tournament over um, – overseas and then obviously um the big 10 game starting up here uh with indiana and purdue um i mean what's your read just right now because you know as, as we look at this team um they still don't really play like a team i mean i think there's a lot of que- there's just so many questions about this roster and how they've played uh thus far what's your early take well we knew there was going to be uh, a lot of uh learning curve this season uh, with given the amount of roster turnover and the new staff and um, basically just all the newness uh, around this program and guys just learning how to play together. Uh, but I don't think anybody expected it to be quite as <laughs> uh, volatile as it has been this year. I mean, starting out of the gates, obviously dropping to back-to-back by home games, UC Riverside and Southern Utah showed just how big of a project this was going to be. Now, to Nebraska's credit, they've looked okay. I mean, they, they looked really good. They went over South Dakota State, who, in my opinion, was going to be one of the more difficult home non-con games. Uh, and then they went to the, the Cayman Islands uh, and beat Washington State handily, beat South Florida, albeit an ugly loss to George Mason sandwich in between there. But uh, this December stretch was kind of that uh, little run where we kind of figured we were going to learn a lot about this team that we hadn't uh, really had the opportunity to know uh, up until that point because they played two straight uh, true road games at Georgia Tech, which, you know, like you said, I was I was there and that was far from a daunting environment. But, you know, they were away from home and it wasn't a neutral site game and uh, they had to travel across the country or halfway across the country and, and go try to find a way to win. And they kind of fell tripped over their own feet on that one. And then 72 hours later, they go to Creighton for their first taste of the Creighton-Nebraska rivalry and were completely overwhelmed through the first 15 minutes uh, and could not recover. Granted, they played much better in the second half, but far too little too late. And so right now, uh, you're staring at the season kind of uh, with not very high expectations. I think the barometers of success that you can take away from this year one is uh, some intangible stuff that goes beyond just wins and losses. I think the ultimate goal is finding your core group of guys that you can build around for the future. You know, your, your handful of guys that you know can run your system are going to buy into your culture on and off the court, and then you can add those pieces with the three sit-out guys um, that arguably could all be starters this season, and then uh, with the rest of the open scholarships you have for 2020, and then really kind of start to establish an identity, which right now they're still very much in the infancy stages of trying to figure that out, who they are, what they are, what guys' roles are. Uh, and you see that with their play, where there's stretches where they look really good, and then also just as many, if not more, stretches where they look absolutely terrible. Now, Samari Curtis also announced his transfer mm-hmm. um, before the semester ended. A, why did he do it? B, were you surprised? Not surprised that he transferred, kind of surprised by the timing. I mean, he did it after just eight games and a handful of months on campus. But if you looked at the body language there, I mean, just during it in the game, watch a timeout when the team's huddling around, there's Samari kind of off by himself, like not included in the, in the conversations or encouraging his teammates during pregame warmups. You know, guys are shooting around and then there's Samari just sitting by himself on the bench. Like 
in a really obvious bad attitude uh, that, you know, I think he was frustrated with the lack of playing time he got. Uh, and you could kind of read between the lines with some of the public comments Fred Hoiberg had made, uh, you know, trying to like say, we need to get Samari involved. We really want to get him involved. You know, I think he's a really good player. Uh, you know, his time's coming. You know, you kind of see that when coaches are, are trying to push guys a little bit to do more uh, and hope that some positive reinforcement might do the trick. Well, that clearly didn't happen. Uh, you know, Samari, he's a volume shooter. He averaged 36 points per game in high school, but that's because he took a lot of shots and he was the alpha dog. And now he's a true freshman guard playing on a guard-heavy team that there just wasn't much opportunity for him to play. And then when he did play, he wasn't all that great. He's got a so, funky, he had a funky looking yeah, shot too yeah. that, I mean, maybe it went in in high school and, but at this level you well, can't have funky looking shots and get away with it. Yeah. And I mean, I, apparently he was making some in practice, but he wasn't doing nearly enough in games. And then his defense was a total liability. So again, I'm not surprised that he transferred in, in a year like this, when you just throw a bunch of guys into a locker room together and, and hope for the best, there's going to be attrition. Samari's one. There's going to be more. I can all but guarantee it. Uh, so that's part of the process of trying, like I talked about, finding that core nucleus of guys that you know you can stick with uh, to build around for the future. And so Samari wasn't one of them. And for his, to, I guess, his advantage, he got out now uh, where there is the mid-year transfer market. He can join his next school before next semester and then only have to sit out uh, essentially half a season next year. So uh, it makes sense for him. And for Nebraska, it gives them an open scholarship, not only for the mid-year transfer market, but also uh, another opening for the spring. What about, the, you mentioned um, finding a lineup and getting their guys established. They made kind of some interesting moves against Creighton late. And one of them involved, I believe, taking Drago off the floor, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and kind of switching that up there with the five-man um, I mean, what do you see them doing here with conference play coming up? I think it'll depend on the game. Uh, in that Creighton game, I think it was more about the mismatch uh, that Creighton presented. Uh, they don't have a big, and so they were basically daring uh, Ivan Wade Rogo to go out and garden uh, in the perimeter and garden space. And he's a decent athlete, but that is not his strength. Uh, he's just not fundamentally sound enough to do that on a consistent basis. And then with his struggles offensively, you know, they just they had to go somewhere else. And so Mateka Voss played a lot more. Um, obviously Thor played a lot more in the second half. And so they kind of found a lineup that worked really well. They shot 61% from the field, uh, scored 54 points, their highest scoring half of the season. And, but again, they never got within 19 points of that game. So, I mean, you take it for what it is. Uh, but I think it's going to, I mean, against Purdue, you're going to have to play your bigs. They have two bigs on the roster, Ivan Wade Rogo and Kevin Cross. And those guys are going to have to play out of necessity, ready or not. But against teams like a Creighton or um, you know, maybe even Indiana to an extent where they're going to have more guard-heavy lineups, I think you might see um, Nebraska shuffle its lineup a little bit closer to what it looked like in the second half of that Creighton game, just because that you know they're at a severe disadvantage. You know, one when they're not scoring, but two when you're giving up that many points off of mismatches with your handful of bigs not being able to compete with those smaller, quicker uh, post players of other teams. Early take now, as you look at the conference, Robin. I mean, what has jumped out to you? If you were, I mean, it looks like Penn State. By the way, they're. They're off to a hot start. I mean, there's some teams like that that have really emerged. I think the Big Ten is uh, so top to bottom. They're really good. They don't have that clear cut like national championship. Contender. Michigan State would be maybe the closest, or would it be Maryland? Kind of, or yeah, Maryland was up there, and then they just got housed by Penn State. Uh, Michigan was playing really, really well. Uh, so I mean, you got 
I think three teams in the top five right now, or at least of the of the last week's uh, AP ballot, uh, and you know Penn State is good. I mean, you just go down the list. Wisconsin, you know, they're they're never easy. So I mean, just the the conference as a whole is really really strong. Where I mean, take it for what it's worth, but Joe Lenardi's early brackets, he has eight. He has uh, the Big Ten is an eight bid league which is the highest of any power conference so uh <laughs> as if nebraska's situation wasn't even more daunting now they're going into a league where there literally are no nights off i mean every game is a test uh, and they're going to get thrown into it this weekend going to indiana which is uh, playing red hot finally under archie miller and then purdue coming to town on sunday which we all know what purdue is they're as good of a coach team uh as there they're is like the, the wisconsin of football yeah, matt, matt painter Just... is a, a genius and he's got you know he lost carson edwards uh but they still got um that, that harm matt harms kid uh and no gel eastern and so they got plenty of talent and nebraska is going to get a uh cold slap of reality of what life in the Big Ten is going to look like in another month. So they play these two games, and then they get their their break games? Yeah, basically they're going to be off for a week. They come home on December 21st uh, for a bye game against North Dakota, and then after Christmas break they come back for their final non-conference game against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Uh, And then January 3rd, Rutgers comes to town, and the Big Ten slate is underway. So they got a couple more quote-unquote tune-ups, but – this team's already lost two of those tune-ups, and so I don't know if they have the opportunity to take anything lightly. <laughs> All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to bring in Husker Line intern Grace Harmon. We're going to take your questions in the mailbag next. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show.